open up with a word of prayer, give you guys some instruction of what we'll be doing today. I think others will be coming a little bit later, but we have to start on time. Let's open up with prayer. Father, I thank you today in Jesus' name for bringing us all here together. I pray that your name will be glorified, your word will be preached. God, and I pray that you'll bless uh, each one of us, God, to speak as we know to be the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to welcome you to our Who is Jesus debate, nice and early in the morning. I know that I've asked that door to be shut a couple times. Somebody probably is not hearing me, but we need that door to be shut because uh, we're recording from this point on, please. Thank you. Uh, we are doing this debate early in the morning for our 201 discipleship class. Uh, if you're in the 201 discipleship class, can you make some noise? Amen. So the majority of you here are in that class, so it's good to see you here. We've invited our guests from around the city. I see some from other churches, other friends that I have, and some from our church that have come early. It's great to see you coming this morning. Today's subject is going to be, Who is Jesus? I'm Joe Rostick, the pastor of Metro Praise, and I'll be presenting the Christian position. This is Nadir Ahmed. He'll be presenting the Islamic position. Nadir, would you like to say a simple hello over the microphone now just to greet everyone? Wonderful. Let me just make sure that your mic will be on. This will be on, and then that will be pausing. So maybe just say it again so they can all hear you. All right. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. And just click it to the uh, the next one. You'll see a little. Uh, or just click it. There it is. Now it's on uh, mute. Okay. So there's the deer. Here I am. Um, the subject is who is Jesus. The date is today, 7 a.m. to 8.35. We're going to try to start and end on time. I know many of us have services to get to, including myself, so it's going to be a good time, and we're hosting it here at Metro Praise. Uh, the order of the events is going to be like a typical college-style debate. We're going to have opening statements, 15 minutes apiece. Uh, Nadir, our guest, has asked that he would go first, so we're going to give him the honor of doing so. Then rebuttals, five minutes apiece, uh, responding to each other's opening statements. Cross-examination, 10 minutes apiece, person asking can only ask questions. The person answering can only answer the questions. And so that will be an interesting time. Uh, questions from the audience, that's when you get to participate. So think of some questions that you will be able to give to me and questions that you can give to Nadir. Uh, the person being asked, asked a question will be able to give a two-minute answer. And then the one not being asked the question will be able to give a one-minute response to the other person's answer. We have in here four uh, questions, two per speaker. We'll see if we can make time, if we can go quickly, but that is what we've set up. Then we'll have a discussion just back and forth as if you were to join us at our meal as we had last night, uh, a Christian and a Muslim discussing uh, civil conversation, and then closing out with five minutes apiece in the, in the closing statements for a total of an hour and 32 minutes. So, um, inshallah, Lord willing, we will stay on time. Amen. We'll have a good time. And uh, it will be wonderful. More information on Christianity, you can go to answeringislam.org and answeringmuslims.com. For more information on Islam, you can see Nadir's website, examinethetruth.com, and answeringchristianity.com, which I just found out he doesn't, um, do you approve of the website? It's not so much, but it was the best one I could come up with at the time. If he wants to give you another one, that's up to him. Uh, these events, of course, are free. They're recorded, live webcasting right now for free, and as well, free distribution. 
So if you would like to help us, all you have to do is go to metropraise.org, click on support, ties and offerings, put in the box, debate, and we'll make sure to cover the cost, his hotel last night, meals, and so forth. And if you want to give today, you can do so by the box here in the sanctuary or in the back by taking an envelope, writing checks to Metro Praise, putting in the offering box your gift uh, in the notation there, and just letting it know it's going towards the debate. And that way we can keep doing debates like this uh, free of charge for the community and free distribution and everybody said amen we love things for free around here that's awesome but it does cost something i think we are ready to go here is our timekeeper joe ruez to be a moderator if he gets out of hand you can put him in line but i think he should be fine today giving us a one minute warning and my friend we're uh, going to give you an introduction hand clap here is nadir ahmed who is jesus All right, I'd like to thank everybody for coming today, and thanks for inviting me, Pastor Joe. Uh, let me just start off by saying that both Muslims and Christians believe in Jesus. We believe a lot about, we believe a lot about the same things about Jesus. And I think there's a bridge between Muslims and Christians. Um, you're going to find that we share similarities, and there's also going to be differences. We also share a lot of the same family values, and I think you'll be surprised to see just how much Muslims and Christians have in common, but we also believe in different things about Jesus, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about both. Some of the things we share in common is that we both believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who was prophesied in the Old Testament. We both believe that he was born of a virgin birth, which was, which was nothing less of a miracle, and that he's going to return to this earth one day, but before his return, He's, there's going to be an antichrist which will come, and we also believe in that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that too. So let me just um, read to you some of the verses of the Quran which talks about Jesus. It says inside chapter 5, verse 75, it says, The Messiah, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger. Many were messengers that passed away before him. And his mother was Siddiqua. She was an honest, truthful woman. They both used to... They both used to eat food while Allah does not eat food. So now, it says they both used to eat food, and in parentheses in the, in the Quran it says God doesn't need to eat food because the reason why it's mentioning this is because, of course, some Christians, but not all, believe that Jesus is God. So what the Quran here is doing, it's reasoning with the Christians and explaining to them that God doesn't need to eat food, and this is this is. The Quran continues, this is a clear proof and evidences for them. And then it says, and look how they have been deluded away. Now, I know a lot of Christians will say, well, you have to understand, it's, you know, it's a hypostatic union. You see, they are both, it's, it's like Jesus is both God and he's man, and he has his man attributes, but the Quran is saying, no, come on, this, you should accept this as a clear proof that God doesn't need to eat food. So, yeah, I'm sure the debate can go back back and forth on that. Now, you know, I've studied both the Quran, I've studied the Bible. And, uh, you know, I didn't study the Bible just for the purpose of attacking it and just trying to disprove it. You know, like going to a lot of the, the anti-Bible uh, websites, and that, that's not the reason why I did it. I really opened up the Bible to see, you know, what it honestly teaches. And then I compared it with the Quran, and maybe I could share with you some, today, uh, some reasons, say, why I chose the Jesus of the Quran. So let me let me continue with some of the verses. It says inside chapter 3, verse 45 of the Quran, 
It says, O Mary, verily God gives you a glad tidings of a word from him. This word, of course, is Jesus. His name will be Jesus, the son of Mary, held in honor in this, in this world and in the hereafter, and he will be of one of those who is nearest to God. He will speak to people in the cradle and in manhood, and he will be one of the righteous. So Mary will retort, O my Lord, how shall I have a son when no man has touched me? And God, will res God responded, For it is God that createth what he wills. When he decreed something, he only says, Be, and it is. And that's how Jesus was created. Because Jesus was a creation just like Adam. Adam had neither, neither father nor mother. Inside chapter 3, verse 48, it continues, And God will teach him the hikmah, the wisdom, the Torah and the Injil, meaning the, the revelation which was given directly to Jesus is called the Injil. And then inside chapter 19, verse 21, it says, Jesus is a sign and a mercy unto men. And so this is just a small, a small description of Jesus in the Quran. But you know what? I actually, a topic which I found very interesting, you know, not now I would read about Jesus in the Quran, but I would also read about the Antichrist. And I would spend long nights reading the Islamic uh, apocalyptic literature. And um, let me turn off my alarm. This is actually my alarm to wake up here. <laughs> there we go. All right, so I would spend a lot of time studying the apocalyptic literature. And I want to, and you know, one of the things which surprises me is Christians, a lot of Christians don't know about Islamic apocalyptic literature. And I just would like to share some of that with you. So yeah, we also believe, we also believe that an antichrist will be coming. And uh, he will claim to be God. But Muhammad says that you will not see your Lord until you die. Okay, now it's interesting because some Christians, but not all, believe that Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh. So the Quran over here is stating here that or the, uh, the prophet Muhammad here stating that the Antichrist will actually come and claim pretty much the same thing. He will have one eye floating out, um, and he will be blind in one eye. And Muhammad said, you should know that your Lord is not one-eyed. He will be able to travel everywhere from Mecca, uh, oh, except Mecca and Medina, for there will be angels guarding these places so that he will not be able to, to enter in there. He will have a mountain of bread, and the people will be facing hardship, and only those who accept him will be able to eat from that bread. He will have two rivers. One river will be called heaven, and the other river will be called hell. But in reality, those people who go into that river of heaven will actually be throwing themselves into hell. And those people who go into, and vice versa, those people who go into the river of hell will actually be going to paradise. Someone asked, you know, how quickly will he move on this earth? And the prophet said, like a cloud driven by the wind. He will come to a people and he will call them to a false religion. Okay? And if they accept him and, and they respond to him, then he will issue a command from the sky and it will rain and the, and the earth will be Will be uh, will, will produce crops and their animals, of course, will be fat and they will eat from that. Then he's going to come to another group of people, and 
he's then going to call them to his false religion. And when, 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 when they reject that, then what's gonna he's going to depart from them, and they are going to suffer famine and hardship, and they will possess nothing of wealth. And then there will also be an occasion where someone, a true believer, will try to kill the Antichrist. He will go to this per he will go to the Antichrist and for the intention of trying to kill him. And so he will be intercepted. And when he was intercepted, he will he'll be asked, Hasn't your Lord, referring to the Antichrist, forbidden you to kill without his permission? So they took him to the Antichrist. And he will he will look at the Antichrist and he will say, You are that Antichrist which Muhammad prophesied about. And so after that, he's going to suffer a severe beating. They're going to he, he's, he's gonna be something horrible. And then he's going to be asked, the Antichrist will come to him, and he's going to ask him, don't you believe in me? And he's going to say, you are the false messiah. So then the Antichrist is going to order that this man be sawn in half. And he's going to walk between the two pieces. And then he's going to say, stand. And the man will just come up standing. And um, it's going to look like a miracle. And then he's going to come to this man again. And he's going to ask him, don't you believe in me? And at this time, the man is going to say, it has only increased my understanding that you are the Antichrist. And at that, he's just going to get really, really pissed. And what he's going to do, he's going to try to kill him. And when he tries to kill him, the area between the neck and his collarbone is going to turn to copper, okay? And he won't be able to kill him. He's going to try every different way, but he won't be able to kill this true believer. Then he's going to take him by the, by the arm and the leg, and he's going to throw him. And, it's, and the people are going to say, this man has been thrown into hell. But in reality, he was thrown into heaven. And, and the people are going to say, can anyone do something like this except the Lord? You know, it's just going to look like an incredible miracle. Another example, another example of some of the just amazing wonders this Antichrist will be doing. You know, he will conjure up a person's parents who, like, let's say, died a while ago, and he will these these people's parents will come, and they'll be and they'll and the, and this guy is going to see his parents after such a long time have appeared to him, and his, his parents are going to say, "Go to him; he is your Lord." You know, so these are just you could you could see it's it's a great tribulation. I mean that that you could I mean that would affect anybody I think. So now the true believers at that time they are going to flee to Syria. So this is all part of the apocalyptic literature which we have in Islam. And as I mentioned, it would, it, the Christians, unfortunately, you know, they don't know a lot about this, and that's one of the reasons why I came tonight to share that with you. So anyway, let me continue. The, the, the true believers will flee to Syria, and the Antichrist is going to follow them, and he's going to besiege them, and they're going to suffer great hardship. And at this very time, then Jesus Christ will descend upon them, and he's going to wipe their faces. It says, wipe the traces of hardship from their faces, and he's going to inform each and one of them of their status in paradise. And it's going to be right around 5 a.m., <coughs> 6 a.m. in the morning. And then the, he's going to pray with the true believer. And then Jesus Christ will instruct the true believer. 
open up the doors of this masjid or this mosque. And when, it, when they open up the door, there the Antichrist will be waiting for him with a huge army behind him. But what's going to happen next is when the Antichrist sees Jesus Christ, he's going to start melting like salt in water. And then the Jesus Christ will then kill the Antichrist. And it's written that he will not allow anyone to live who followed this Antichrist. You might find some similarities with what you read about apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature in the book of Daniel or Revelation with what we have. I don't know. So that is kind of in a nutshell of what we believe about Jesus Christ. And I also shared with you what we believe about the Antichrist. But I also want to now share with you a little bit about why we believe, you know, why we believe in inside Islam versus Christianity. And one of the reasons why is because of the prophetic, scientific, and archaeological evidence that we see in this religion, which I did not see in any other religion. And evidence is very important because evidence is a way which God uses to guide the honest truth seeker to the truth, to his correct path. And the religion which lacks evidence what God is trying to convey to us is that he doesn't want you to go to that path. And so, um, you know, so, so that's why evidence is very important. So let me share, let me just share some, of some, uh, some prophecies which from our scripture very quickly because I have a short period of time here. And so because he's by the very nature, an honest truth seeker, he's going to be looking at the evidences and God is going to know that. He's going to be aware of that. So let me read to you some verses in the Quran, and these are things which have been mentioned in the book, and yet we see fulfillment of these things today. It says inside chapter, <coughs> in fact, chapter 7, verse 157. Now, here we see what appears to be a prophecy of, of Adolf Hitler. Look at this, what it says over here. It says, when your Lord has declared that he would certainly keep sending against them, and is referring to the Jewish people here, Till the day of resurrection, those who would afflict them with a humiliating torment. And yes, we see that being fulfilled within the last centuries. And then we read inside chapter 59, verse 14. Now, this is talking about Israel. Now, if you look in Israel today, they have constructed one of the largest walls for, no, for the purpose of fighting against the Palestinian people who happen to be Muslim. So God says here about the Banu Nadir, this is a Jewish tribe. It says, they fight not against you even together, except in fortified townships, or from behind walls. So it says here that this tribe, Jewish tribe, will fight against you from behind walls. And today we see a huge wall inside the state of Israel. And so what we see here is the fulfillment of prophecy. And in my last 30 seconds, let me just share one more with you. And, um, you know, and I don't mean to bombard you with so much information, but I just want to just give you some reasons why we believe in what we believe. It says, if fornication should become widespread, you should realize that this has never happened without new diseases befalling people which their forebearers have never suffered. So, and of course, 
age is, a, is an example of one of those diseases. So I guess that's my time, right? All right, and I'll go ahead and uh, give it over to Joe. All right, thank you. Let's give a hand clap after each presentation, if we could, please. <laughs> Wonderful. Give me just a moment to get set up here, please. As I see people coming in, it's great to see everybody here. Would you uh, put this up so I can make sure it can uh, change? Okay. Start my time. Thank you. Wonderful. I'm going to be discussing who is Jesus, a Christian answer. And so simply from Christianity, the Bible, and the things that we believe as Christians, Jesus is God. That's what I'll be defending today and presenting to you with some evidence, specifically the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the second person in the triune nature of God, the Son of God in the flesh, 100% man and 100% deity. I want to give you eight proofs for the Christian claim, and I want to see if our, my colleague can answer any one of these proofs. Proof for the Christian claim. Number one, it comes from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Proof from the Jewish prophets, which we both receive prophets. Uh, proof from the Psalms of David, which Muslims call the Zabar. Proof from the life of Jesus, which Muslims call the Injil. Proof from the disciples of Jesus, which the Muslims call El-Kitab. Proof from Paul, which I believe is a convert. Proof from church history and proof from non-Christian history. So let's start with number one. Here's some evidence, proof from the Torah. We both receive the Torah. The Islamic point of view is the Tanakh. He can defend why he doesn't receive the one we have today and the one of the Jews. But here is the proof from the Torah, Genesis 18, 1 through 2. The Lord, and you see Lord, they're all caps. That means Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, the God of Israel, appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his temple. Abraham looked up, saw three men standing nearby, and we find out later those other two men were angels that went down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So here you see that Abraham meets the God of Israel, Yahweh. But there's a problem with this because Exodus 33, 22 through 23 says, When my glory passes, Yahweh speaking, he says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, cover my hand upon you when I pass by, then I will remove my hand. You will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So how can the Lord, the God of Israel, who said even to Moses, you cannot see my face, how does Abraham see him face to face, feed him, continuing in Genesis 18, have a meal with him, and then talk to him about the judgment of Sodom? This could be in no other way except what Christians call a Christophany, a second person of the Godhead who comes in the name of Yahweh, fulfilled in Matthew 28:18. one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not the Christian Bible. This is the Torah, the Bible of the Jews, which we've had for over uh, 1,500 years, even many years before Islam ever came around. Let's go to our second one, the proof from the Jewish prophets, one of my favorites, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. He sees in a night vision, he says, I looked up and there before me was one like a son of man, <clears throat> excuse me, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence, he was given authority. Who is this person? Is it the Ancient of Days given authority? No, it's the Son of Man, a second person other than the Ancient of Days. He's given glory, sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Excuse me. 
Why is this a problem for someone who says that God can only be the Father? Because Exodus 34, 14 says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And what do you see Daniel seeing in this vision? He sees one like the Son of Man coming to the Father, all Daniel knew at this time, and this Son of Man receives worship. How can someone receive worship other than God according to this Bible? So as we begin to read even of the Old Testament, we see the Trinity being performed right in front of us. Now, are we debating the Trinity? No. But you have to have a triune type doctrine to believe that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit can all be God at the same time. So I just want you to keep following and see if the Jews were experiencing the Trinity. Let's go on to the Psalms of David. Muslims call this the Zabar. Here in Psalms 110, 1 through 4, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now the unique thing about this passage is here you see the Lord, all caps, distinguishing the Hebrew word Yahweh to the lowercase L-O-R-D, Lord, Adonai. And here David says, Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of your battle, arrayed in holy Majesty, from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, why is this important that, that David records, the Lord said to my Lord? Because in Psalm 16, 2, he said, I said to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So what do you see here? Once again, David experiencing the Trinity, referring to Yahweh as his father, Adonai, as a second person who he worships, and yet this Adonai is not a different type of a being. It is still God. And we keep going. In the life of Jesus now, Esau in the Injil. Now, of course, I could go to easy statements in John, but to kind of tie a hand behind my theological back, I'm going to give my friend from the, the Gospel of Mark even statements that the most harshest critics still believe are in the manuscripts and from the high Christology of Jesus. Here you see in Mark 2.9, he's being asked to heal a paralytic, but he says to the paralytic, first your sins be forgiven, and now continue on. It says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Hold on, where did that term Son of Man come from? Some people think the term Son of Man refers to the humanity of Jesus, and Son of God refers to the divinity. No, but Son of Man is a divine term of Jesus' nature, going back to Daniel 7, who is receiving worship. Jesus says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, I tell you, the paralytic, get up. Take your mat and walk. Look at Numbers 14, 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Can anybody forgive sin except the God of Israel, Yahweh? And yet Jesus in the flesh could forgive sin, not just an offense against himself. He could forgive offenses against God Almighty. Thus he is saying, I am that son of man of Daniel 7. But then you keep reading Mark chapter 2, verse 27, here the Jewish day of uh, the Sabbath. He said to them, the Sabbath was not made for men, but man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now you go back to Deuteronomy 5.14. What does the Sabbath belong to? Who does it belong to? But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, Yahweh, your God. So here you see Jesus on earth forgiving sins as God and also taking authority over the commands of God, saying that he is Lord of, over those commands. This can only show that Jesus was operating as God. 
Here you continue on to the disciples of Jesus. Once again, right here, it would be easy to go to the messages of John and to the other uh, epistles. But I'll make it easy on my friend. Peter here is one of the most affirmed uh, apostles, even from Islam. First Peter, the epistle, one of the most affirmed epistles of manuscript evidence. And here's what Peter himself says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest of care. So people are looking back into the scriptures to find the Christ coming. Verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Was this a slip of the pen when Peter said that Old Testament prophets were being led by the spirit of Christ who supposedly was just a man, just a prophet? No, he is affirming that the spirit of Christ is in union with God the Father and that the spirit of Christ has always existed. He understood the divinity of Jesus. How do I know? Look at Numbers 11, 28, 30. Peter understood what the prophets got their spirit from, but Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And at this point right here, I do want to give you a simple definition of the Trinity. Describing the Trinity, it's one what? What is the creator of the universe? Yahweh God. What is the source of all life? Yahweh God. The what is God, and that what is the Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is one what? One divine being, one God species, one God race. But who is that God? You have three who's, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit appearing from old to new, the Holy Spirit as well as Jesus and the Father. And so here you see when the New Testament comes along, there is attributing things back in the Old Testament to Jesus. During the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the saints are seeing like Abraham manifestations of Jesus. This is not a new theology. This was the theology of the Bible. Let's keep going. Now we have the proof from Paul. And as my friend has shared in other debates, well, Paul might have taken Christianity aside, mixing paganism with Christianity, the worship of Jesus, etc. But I would love to see him answer Philippians 2, 5 through 8, what is known as the Corpus Christi in Latin of the flesh of Christ. If Paul was making up another version of Christianity, how is it that all scholars today, even Bart Ehrman, admit that Paul takes hymns that predate himself and add them into his writings? Meaning, the hymn you read here in Philippians 2, is a song or a hymn of the church which predates even Paul's conversion. There's another one in Corinthians where he talks about the resurrection and Jesus being seen by 500 witnesses. And there's another hymn in Timothy when he says, he was manifested among the flesh, uh, seen among the people, vindicated by the angels. All three of these, all secular and Christian historians believe that these hymns predate Paul's writing. And the interesting thing here is that Paul is taking this hymn and giving it as evidence back to the Philippian people that Jesus is in fact God. It goes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Adonai, to the glory of God. God the Father. Do you see 
that, that people are bowing. Did Abraham bow down to Jesus? Yes, he saw him in the flesh bow down to Jesus. Did David bow down to Jesus? He said, the Lord said to my Lord, yes. Did the prophets bow down? Did Daniel bow down to Jesus? Yes. Did Jesus teach that he was the Lord of heaven and earth when he walked among the people? Yes. Did Paul have a Christian hymn that predates his conversion? Yes, and people should do it even to this day. Continuing on, how do we know more about Christianity after the apostles and companions of Jesus? We go to church history. Clement of Rome, 100 A.D., a contemporary of Paul, mentioned in his letters. This is what he says. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the scepter and majesty of God. It says, did not come in the pomp of pride, though he could, but in humble state, just as the Holy Spirit had spoken about him. Doesn't that sound like Philippians 2 to you? Here, 40 years after the writings of Paul, Clement is continuing to teach the very same thing. Ignatius, a disciple of John, refers to Philippians 2. For our God, Jesus the Christ, was conceived by Mary, and then later on he's says the ancient kingdom was utterly destroyed when God appeared in the flesh in the likeness of men. This is 100 AD. Some say that it happened in Catholicism, 325 AD, and some try to say that Paul distorted Christianity. Here you see a disciple of John, Ignatius, who probably never met Paul or came in contact with him, and yet he is saying the same exact thing that Clement did, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And let's keep going now to secular history. Non-Christians, what did they say about Jesus? Here, Pliny the Younger, a Roman governor, he says about Jesus and the Christians, not to say they believed it, but here's how they document what the Christians believed. They had met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses alternately among themselves in honor of Christ as if to a God. Do you see them treating Jesus as a prophet, just as another man? No. In the first century and the second century, right after Christ, how are they worshiping him as a God? Here's Celius, just a few years later. He says, and their worship of this Jesus is the more outrageous, because he's a pagan. He doesn't like it. He says it's more outrageous because they refuse to talk about any uh, God, the father of us all, unless it includes some reference to Jesus. And so what do we see here today that our friend has to give to us? The Quran, the teachings of Muhammad coming in the 7th century, 600 and plus years later after the time of Jesus, wanting to change our, our Torah, then present a different Torah to us today, even that your Quran speaks about. Uh, if you don't believe our Jewish prophets, present to us another set of Jewish prophets' writings. If you don't consider the Zabar that we have to be accurate, give us another set of the writings of David. If you say that we don't have the Injil, then give us the complete Injil. If you do not take the testimony of Peter in the first epistle, then show me the testimony of Peter elsewhere. If you do not prove that Paul uh, Paul was a Christian, if you cannot prove that, then at least prove then why Paul had early Christian hymns that came before him promoting the divinity of Christ. And if you cannot uh, give us a different church history, you must accept ours. And at the very end, secular history, what are you going to show us other than what I have presented to you, that the Christians were worshiping Jesus as God? Therefore, what is the Christian answer to who is Jesus? He is God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the second person in the triune nature of God, the Son of God in the flesh, 100% man, and 100% deity. How much time do I have left? Amen. Alhamdulillah.
All right, well, thank you for that. Actually, you know, I find uh, very little disagreement with you. How, how many minutes do I have, just wondering? Five minutes, okay. Us, I'm going to try to cover a lot in five minutes here. And I like those type of debates where we really have, we agree more than we disagree. If your purpose tonight is to show us that the scriptures teach Jesus's, or let, you started from the Old Testament, and you showed that, you know, there are passages in the Old Testament which confirm Jesus as God, it confirms Trinity, and, and, and I can see how you could interpret it that way. And that's why we have so many Jews who believe in uh, that Jesus is God, right? Many Jews believe in that. In fact, um, well, of course, being a little bit facetious here, uh, no, they don't accept that. So you can see the, these passages which you are referring to uh, have been, you know, can be interpreted many different ways. Of course, the Jews don't believe in the Trinity, but I don't want to really get into the debate because I see both. I see, I see both. Um, you know, views are palatable. What you're saying is possible. It can be interpreted that way. What the Jews are interpreting is possible. It can be interpreted that way too. So I'll just leave it between you guys to battle it out. Okay, but what I didn't hear tonight, really, why is the Bible sh is the unaltered Word of God? You are coming from a perspective which really I think maybe only 37% of Christians believe that the Bible is absolutely true. It has never been changed, and every word in there is God-breathed. I don't share that position. Today, majority of Christians don't share that position. So if you were to show me, yes, there are passages in the Bible, there are passages in the New Testament, which show that Jesus is God. I don't have a problem with that. But then again, this would go back to the, my point where I don't believe these scriptures were preserved, you know, 100%. It may very well be that those people who came after Jesus, who believed and made Jesus into God, altered those scriptures. That's very possible. So I don't have a problem with the vast majority of what you're saying. Okay, and so you said that the New Testament uh, teaches Jesus is God. Um, yeah, I think I already addressed that. Um, and then you try to produce an evidence for Paul. Now, this is a problem. This is the problem between Islam and Christianity. Now, for our prophet, we've presented many evidences. At least I tried to. And I mean, in my short period of time, I tried to present uh, some prophecies showing that what we are, what we have is right. But till today, I have never seen any evidence for the prophethood of Paul. Now, I understand Christians believe that he is an apostle, but this is the point. He's a self-appointed apostle. And if you really look at his true claim, he's just basically another claimant to be a prophet. Okay, here's a man who just says, you know, I received revelation from God. And here are some scriptures. Now, technically, that's a prophet. Okay, you could call him an apostle, but I don't want to argue over terminology. I did not see any evidence. I presented to you in my short period of time at least three pieces of evidences of why I believe Muhammad is true. So if we have to prove our prophet, absolutely, you also have to prove your prophet, the prophet of Christianity. And this is the problem, that the Christians, they are following a version of Jesus coming from Paul. A man who gets up out of nowhere and says, I've received revelation from God. You see, now you might go back to the Bible and say, well, the Bible says Paul is true. In the book of Acts, He's walking and talking to the disciples. They're confirming him. But this is a circular reasoning. 
what makes Paul choose the Bible? Well, who gave us the Bible? Paul and his followers. The church fathers, which you quoted, like Clement, these are the followers of Paul. And that's circular reasoning. Okay, so again, we don't, we did not hear any evidence for Paul. We didn't hear any evidence why the scriptures are 100% uh, pristine. Um, but in my short period of time, which is about 45 seconds, let me continue with some of the um, evidences for our scripture. Okay? Now, we, we, I, I went over some of the prophecies. Let me go over some one more. It says, the prophet said, there are a two types of people among hell whom I have not seen. A second are a group of women who are naked in spite of being dressed. Now, we've all seen that. Now, remember, Muhammad said, I have not seen these in my, inside my lifetime. And then it says, they will be led astray and they will lead others astray. Meaning women will copy their fashion. And yes, once again, we are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy right before our very own eyes. That's the, the evidence I need for Paul. Thank you. Can we give him a hand clap? Can we keep up with that? <laughs> Thank you. We good? Okay, well, I'm going to respond to some of these quickly. Saul, uh, Surah 575, when you say the messenger of uh, God does not eat food, uh, you know, these things. Psalms 89.6 says, For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Are you trying to, to say to me that I have to prove to you that uh, God is something like uh, a man, that, uh, that, that uh, like how men have to have only one nature, one being, that is the same thing with God? The Bible tells me actually not to prove that to you, that I am not to try to compare our God, who is in time, past, present, and future, how, uh, how he's to be compared with anything. So I see no contradiction. There is no evidence in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that said God cannot appear as a man to, to work miracles as a man. He did that with Abraham. So you still haven't answered that, even in your rebuttal. You say, well, this, you know, because Jews don't believe this, this doesn't mean it's not true. Well, the Jewish people are converting to Jesus. The first Christians were Jewish. And still to this day, Dr. Michael Brown, as of AskDrBrown.org, you can see how many Jews are searching the scriptures for themselves and seeing that the answers that the rabbis have provided in uh, Genesis 18 and Daniel 7 do not give any real explanation, trying to say in uh, 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 Genesis 18 that that was just the presence of the Lord. It's impossible. He washed his feet, he bowed down to him, and he had a discussion with him. And then in uh, Daniel 7, they try to say that the Son of Man represents Israel. It doesn't matter. If it's representing Israel, Israel is represented as a man that's being worshipped. And yet no one is called the Son of Man in the New Testament times of Jesus except Jesus himself. So he's the only one that could fulfill that, and you didn't say anything towards that. Then you went on to talk about the Antichrist as if somehow this applies to Jesus. But you, my friend, are coming in the 7th century looking back calling our Jesus the Antichrist. But Paul said at the time of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11:4, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached or received a different spirit from the spirit you received or a gospel other than the one you accepted, you put up with it easy enough. My friend, you're preaching the other Jesus 700 years later from a prophet that is claiming things that we cannot even attest to to the uh, 
account of Paul. Paul's account is better than, than Muhammad's account. Paul himself saw Jesus. Muhammad claims to see an angel. Paul himself knew it was Jesus and immediately was the servant of the Lord. Uh, uh, Muhammad has to be convinced, become suicidal. And then Paul is received by the early Christian, Peter affirming his writings in 2 Peter. And yet Muhammad, of course, is not affirmed by any of the Christian writings. He himself could not speak the language of the Bible, of the Old Testament, makes no known references. Even the weakest book among us, as you like to point out, Hebrews without having a known author, makes 34 citations of the Old Testament. The whole Quran does not even make such direct citations. And then we go on. He's asking us for prophecies. How much time do you have? I can list 100 prophecies from the Bible. I will send them to you. I'll give you just a few so you can see the validity of the Bible in the prophecies. I'll start with your favorite person, Paul. Paul predicts the Roman Catholic Church 300 years before its time in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul predicts a falling away in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. And Paul predicts gross sin and false teaching in the end times, which we live in now. John uh, testified in Romans uh, Revelation 13 of an identity chip, which we're seeing now, satellite television in Revelations 11, 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter prophesies for false teachers in the last days and that it will be like the days of Noah, eating and drinking before the judgment comes. And, of course, Jesus in Matthew 24 predicts the earthquakes, the tsunamis, the nation rising against nation, and all of the famines that we see today, just to name a few. And these are the reasons why we accepted. Also, the Bible being changed and all of these things. If this was an atheistic argument and we were discussing the New Testament, let's do it. But first of all, we're discussing Jesus. Second of all, the New Testament is affirmed by your, uh, by your apostle, the prophet, who says the Injil and the people of El Kitab. If you're going to correct ours, show the better one. That is received in the time of the apostles and the time of church history. I want to see those writings brought here today. Even Bart Ehrman said that the Bible we have today is the most well-preserved Bible, even though it has all of its variants uh, compared to all the other history. And asked by Dr. James White, should we throw out history? He said, that is not my problem. So even the scholars that you like to quote say that the Bible still has more evidence to be any other book, not including the Uthman revision that Muslims know that happened after Muhammad died. They took all of the copies, burned the ones that didn't agree with the one they had, and made that the standard vision. By the time of your apostle, we already had the Codex Sinaiticus and Viticanus, which Muhammad would have as a total revelation, uh, uh, Genesis to Revelation Bible that he could have consulted at any time, and thus he didn't. So this, the claims still stand. Eight of them have not been answered, and eight of them are to there to be answered. Jesus is God. We can go to the cross-examination, and he would be first. If you want to sit at the table or wherever you're at. Cross-examination. Okay, well, thank you for that presentation. Now, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of points here, and I just want to, and now, I want to make things easy for you, okay? Now, obviously, I didn't really come here to discuss, you know, the um, biblical criticism, so I'm not going to criticize the Bible. And um, same thing with my debate with James White. You know, rather than getting into really a very hairy topic and getting into the manuscripts and all that, one thing, and, and you gave a lot of information, but I just want to focus on some things here. Can you share with me one prophecy? And you mentioned some in your, in your five-minute presentation, but... Just present to me a prophecy which you are seeing fulfilled today. You mentioned something about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to need more detail on that. Could you just read the exact verse 
and then we could we could talk about it too. But really, the prophecy. Sure. In First uh, Timothy, chapter four, Paul is discussing to Timothy about the state of the church in latter times. He says the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with the hot iron. Verse 3, here's the most important part. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So here we see that after Paul's time, he claims that there will be a group deceived by demons. And if you follow this deceiving spirit, it always leads to idolatry in the Old Testament. We know this happened when they began to uh, venerate the saints. They began to worship. So they're being inspired by demons. And then the sign that goes with them is that they forbid people to eat meat. They instituted no meat on Fridays and the time of Lent, which was eating of no meat. And then they forbid to marry, which at this time, no one was doing this uh, in the name of Christ and also forbidding meat. So this could only be the Roman Catholic Church that then forbid their priests to marry, and we see them here today. But this came by Paul, 70, 60 A.D., hundreds of years before the Roman Catholic Church, probably instituted around 400 A.D. Okay, well, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, defend the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess they could, they could defend themselves. But, you know, a couple of problems with that is, you know, when Paul was mentioning this, I mean, you didn't really show to me that this thing did not exist during his lifetime. And I would say, no, the, the Catholics do allow the eating of meat. It's just on one day, you know, they, they make an acceptance for it. So, uh, yeah, again, I don't really see that as, as a prophecy being fulfilled because we don't know if these things existed during his lifetime. Now, I just want to get to some of the points that you are, uh, you are mentioning. It said here that, um, you know, cause I, didn't, I didn't get a, a chance to respond to everything. You mentioned that uh, the Jews are converting to Jesus. Uh, well, I don't think that's really an evidence that the Bible is true. Um, you know, the fact that Jews are converting to Jesus because Jews are also converting to Islam. Um, and also, I wanted to make a correction. And uh, do I have to just ask some questions or? Oh, okay. Let me. Uh, yeah. I, I just want to make one correction. We're not really saying that the Christian version of Jesus is the Antichrist. We don't know. We actually seriously don't know. We just know that these are some of their, some of their descriptions. But going back to Paul, I mean, now we of course have to show evidence for our prophet. What other evidence do you have for Paul that he is a true? Because you know why I'm calling a prophet, right? Uh, go ahead. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. I didn't have time to bring it up in the uh, five-minute rebuttal. When someone is in court for a a murder, any any type of charge. They don't exclude the people who know them the best. Actually, they, they include them. Those become uh, highlighted. They become, uh, if there's a murder, the, the hus if, if the wife is dead, the husband becomes indicted immediately almost. And so when you say, where is the proof of Paul? It's in the writings of Luke. It's in the writings of Peter. And for you to say, well, now the Bible gives us the evidence of Paul, so now we're in a circular argument, you're not understanding how historical evidence works because then that means that Caesar couldn't be Caesar because Roman uh, citizens wrote about Caesar. So the evidence I have is of Luke and of Peter, and you've presented, and, and nor any secular historian nor non-Christian has presented to make us question why, why Luke would record a conversion or why uh, Peter would accept his writings in Second Peter. 
So that's the evidence, is his companions, the people with him. And we happen to call it scripture, but if we looked at it from a merely uh, secular point, just look at them individually. Look at Luke's writings. Look at uh, Marcion, who came along and took away everything but Paul's writings. Uh, look at Clement. Look at the others who affirm him, who are companions of him. And so they shouldn't be ruled out. Okay, well, um, well, first of all, you know, I'm not, it's not that I don't understand the historical you know, method. I'm simply asking a question. Well, why should we believe in this? I mean, I accept Paul to be Paul. But what the point which I'm questioning is that here is a man who claims to have been in contact with a divine. He's seen Jesus. And, you know, if I understand what you're saying is that you just have to read the scriptures, you know, and I don't see that as a, as a, as a um, valid evidence. What I'm seeing is this is a problem with most religions. You have these claimants who are starting religions. They're claiming to receive revelation. They're claiming to be apostles. They're claiming to be prophets. And and they really don't have any credible evidence to support them. And so I guess at this point, I'm, I'm not hearing anything which is really that can show this man is a prophet. This is a man really that you need to put your, your salvation in because that's what Christians are doing. You are understanding Jesus pretty much everything from Paul and the followers of Paul and those church fathers, which are all his followers. You're getting everything from, from this one man. Uh, and so that's why it's very important. That is you there a to question there? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah I'm sorry. My, <laughs> my question is, can you provide me some other evidence? Because it's very important that we find here. I, I will give it to you in three tiers. You have his companions, number one, Luke. You call that scriptures, which we do rightfully. But first, he's a companion, number one. Clement is not scripture and could have easily have been noted as scripture. And so Clement accepts him as a disciple. So that's another one. Two. Then three. Being accepted by Peter, consider it a separate witness. You say, well, it's found in the Bible. It can't be considered a separate witness. That means, uh, like I said, if Roman history is done by Romans, we can't accept Roman history. Or if a murder is done in a family and all three of the daughters see the mom get killed, the, the, you know, the, the family can't count. It, it makes no sense. Then to go on with what you're saying about uh, anybody claims to see God, Jesus appeared to Paul and then confirmed it with the signs and wonders that followed. Luke records that signs and wonders followed, and what's the evidence? Ephesus and different cities were converted to Jesus, and they stayed Christian until the times of Muhammad. And then lastly, number five, is that when Paul walked the earth, Paul was not <clears throat> immediately accepted by the Jews themselves. So his letters explain his journey to being accepted, and how they then accepted him based on sound doctrine. So then you would have to include James, the brother of Jesus, and the others using Galatians as a separate witness. And so you're just wanting to say, well, because it's in the Bible, we'll just all throw it out. No, separate them as historians do and look at them each individually. And then just to comment, as you were just talking uh, about Muhammad, well, Muhammad believed in Moses. Tell me the witnesses of Moses other than the Israelites. And I shouldn't ask you a question, but, you know, you pose it in such a way that uh, you're saying that we're, we're, we as followers of uh, the faith of Abraham are doing something different. We, we, we have belief and faith that God speaks to men when no one's around, and then the people that are hearing the message have to affirm it. And so no one saw uh, Muhammad receive a vision. No one saw, but they did see with Jesus, uh, Paul, by the way, but even though they didn't, with Moses on the mountain, they had to confirm what he heard. So I ask you to be... <clears throat> 
to be uh, fair to yourself and to your own claims about your profit as well. Well, you know, it seems like a oh, it seems like a big part of what you're saying is is because the Bible said so. But then again, you know, that's that's circular reasoning. You said Clement accepted him. If someone just believes him to be a prophet, that doesn't make him to be true, that prophet to be true. You said Peter accepted him. No, I don't accept that. You're just quoting out of the Bible that Peter accepted him. And um, and then again, most of what you're saying that you're using Galatians as a separate witness. Again, you're just going back to the Bible. To the Bible, and this is my point. It seems like you are using circular reasoning. I mean, everything goes back to the Bible, but it's Paul who gave you the Bible, so he's giving you a book which affirms himself. So it's uh, I, I don't see that circular reasoning in Islam. What's the question? So my question is, uh, isn't this circular reasoning? Of course it's not circular reasoning because you are not being fair to any person that has a prophetic claim. You're not being fair to your own prophets. You're being hypocritical to all the prophets, even including Muhammad. Uh, people had to hear the message and had to testify to it. The companions of Islam become witnesses to Muhammad. Uh, just let me finish answering, please. The, the witnesses become the, the, conf the confirmation, just like anyone here becomes a, a confirmation of this debate. Well, they were all at Metro Praise. Well, that's, that doesn't matter. They were the only ones that were here. Uh, you cannot show me any other evidence, despite your trying and other people trying, of people putting words in Peter's mouth, putting words in the early apostles' mouths that say, we don't agree with, with Paul. You cannot show me that. Paul is accepted. He is affirmed. The fathers confirmed that. Even secular history said the Christians did this. Okay, so my 10 minutes. And I will be fair to him. If he's answering a question at the end, I'll let him ask, answer. According to Surah, uh, Surah 355, I'm going to ask you, do you believe this? Behold, Allah said, O Jesus, I will make thee and rise thee up to myself and clear thee of all thy falsehoods and those who blaspheme. I will make those who follow thee superior to those who reject the faith to the day of resurrection. Do you believe Surah 355? speaks that the followers of Jesus would be from the time of Jesus to the time of the resurrection. Yeah, I believe in that surah. So this is a promise from God. But notice it doesn't say when. It says, I will. So this is something which is going to take place in the future. So whoever are those true followers of Jesus, they will be superior. Now that is something which is now is not defined. How are they going to be superior? Well, we don't know. So somehow they're going to be superior. That's not given in the text. So I believe that promise will be fulfilled, and uh, it's just, and, and how? I'm not sure because they didn't really say. Okay. Second question, Surah 3.3, 3, do you believe that he confirmed the message by the scriptures he sent down by the Torah and the gospel, the Tanakh and the Injil? Do you believe that signs were sent down through the Tanakh and the Injil? Absolutely. You know, we believe that a revelation was given to Jesus and all the prophets before. And the Quran confirms this fact that a revelation was given to them. Can you present to us the writings of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, anyone that we would consider the founders of the Abrahamic faith known in the Torah? Can you give us an Islamic uh, scripture that right now is different than our scripture? Can you present us with one? Why? Because you question the one we have. You're not to ask me a question, by the way. So can you present us with one? God. Yes or no? Just make it a simple yes. Uh, Can you present oh, us oh, with the Torah? No, no. These books have been lost. Okay, so you uh, cannot, because I have a lot to go oh, through. So yeah. just yes or no, you cannot. No. 
can you present us with authoritative Islamic work on uh, accepted Islamic uh, scriptures on the prophets of the Old Testament? Over 20 of them are found in our Bible. Can you give me their writings accepted wholeheartedly by the Islamic faith, the Jewish prophets? Oh, absolutely not, because these are books which are not meant for all of humanity to follow. These were Israelite prophets, and their revelation came for the Israelites only. And if you read the Quran, chapter 5, verse 4, it says over there, and we gave them the responsibility, referring to the Jews, to preserve their own scripture. So God's promise of preservation is not on the old scripture. So the reason why we don't have these scriptures is because it is not it is not meant for mankind to follow. We have fragments of their of that revelation, which is what Christians have today in their hands. So to make it easy, let me sum it up together. Can you give us a Torah, Jewish prophets, the teachings of David, of Jesus, of his early disciples, or the life of uh, the, the companions of Jesus, or the life of the disciples after Jesus? Can the Muslims provide for the Christians today any authoritative work other than the Quran, which comes some 600 years later after the Jesus? in uh, his disciples. Can you provide us with anything for any of those works? Well, no. Actually, we cannot pre uh, present to you any other revelation or scripture other than the Quran. And the information which you are wanting is in the Quran, if you will accept it. And uh, the, the, the question which I think you should be asking is, what do I need to be saved? I want to go to heaven. I don't want to spend an eternity in hell. What do I have to do? And if you ask that question, the Quran can answer that question. We can present clear evidence for our scriptures if you allow us to. Then let me ask you this question then. If you cannot present to us any of the evidence for all the prophets that you claim, and yet you can only say the Quran is the evidence, and the Quran goes back into these men's lives, gives us the words of supposed what supposedly Jesus said, supposed Moses said, and all of these statements cannot be proven in the time of Jesus, why in the world would you expect us as Christians to reject everything that we have to accept the Quran that came seven, over 700 years later? Why would we do that? We already know how to be saved, how to follow Jesus. Islam is a nation which is built upon exactly that. If you look at Jordan, Syria, Iraq, southern Arabia, these were all lands of Christians who did exactly that. And the reason why I would ask you to reject the scriptures is because I, I and I don't know if we can do this right now, but maybe sometime in the future, if you look at the scientific, archaeological, and prophetic evidence supporting Islam and just compare it with the evidence supporting the New Testament, I think it's going to become clear that the Quran is the right way and it is backed by the scientific and prophetic evidence. How much time do I have? Wonderful. Do you believe the hadith is accepted and valid in Al-Bukhari 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 657? When Allah was asked this question by some of his followers, um, they told him about foretellers, and he said, they are nothing. And then they said back to him, O Allah's apostle, sometimes they tell us of a thing which turns out to be true. And then Allah's apostle said, a jinn snatches the true word, pours it into the ear of his friend, the foreteller, as one puts something into a bottle. The foreteller then mixes that word with 100 lies. And would you believe that saying the same thing as Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, if a prophet or one of you foretells dreams and appears among you and makes announcements of miraculous signs and wonders, 
And if the sign or wonder which he has spoken takes place, and then he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Do you believe that those are the same? Because I believe that they are both the same. And as you are saying to us, prove the prophethood of Paul by uh, his prophecies. The better question is prove it by the doctrines of the prophets. And I believe your prophet has even said, do not judge it on prophecies. Moses said, do judge it on prophecies. Judge it on the doctrine. What say you of Al-Bukhari and Deuteronomy chapter 13? Well, I, I don't think that that hadith is saying don't use prophecy as a, as a criteria to judge the truthfulness of the scripture. I think it's telling us something which we all already know. I mean, if you just drive down the street, you will see places like psychic uh, people who can, who can predict the future or claim to predict the future. I had a relative who actually went to one of these people, and I guess she lost something, and one of these psychics told him <laughs> where, where it was, and it was under the car seat. So my point is, I think what the point in that hadith is, it's telling you that some people can predict the future, absolutely. And that's something I think we all believe in. This is just common sense here. But the prophecies which I have given you, the psychics cannot do. We're waiting for them to tell us what the stock market is going to look like tomorrow. No psychic can do that. I have given clear prophecies, which we have seen the fulfillment in our time. of. We saw Hitler fulfill that prophecy. We saw the wall in Israel. We saw new diseases coming as a result of fornication. Psychics and those fortune tellers cannot do that. I would like to ask you some question. Now, I know you don't want to discuss scholarship, but for you to make a claim that the Bible is invalid, I would like to bring up uh, E.P. Sanders, who is a non-conservative scholar. He made these statements about Jesus that most scholars today agree upon, and I would include uh, the Jesus Seminar, you know, Marcus ba uh, Bach and uh, the, the rest of them. Um, he said, this is what they agree upon. Jesus was born around 4 B.C. He was put to death by Herod the Great. He spent his childhood and adult years in Nazareth. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Excuse me, he called disciples. He taught in towns and villages. He preached the kingdom of God. And about the age of 30, he went to the Passover. And then he made a disruption in the temple, which led to his arrest and then to his execution. The Quran says that he, they neither crucified him and they don't know what they've done with him. And yet, the Christian claim has always been he was crucified. And of course, raised from the dead is a miracle, which we cannot prove miracles looking back in history. But we can give where the evidence lies. But here, E.P. Sanders says that one of the most uh, believed thing, even among secular scholars, is that he was crucified. Wouldn't this prove that your uh, uh, book, 700 years later, can't even get something right, something so easy as the crucifixion? Well, I think it's the other way around. I think uh, the evidence which you're presenting where some scholars are agreeing that Jesus was crucified is actually confirming the Quran. Because remember what Surah 4, verse 157 says. It says, they did not kill them, nor did they crucify him, but it was made to appear to them so. So when people tell us, hey, Jesus was crucified, that's just confirming what we're saying. It was made to appear to them so. So I don't have a problem with some of the evidences which you present that Jesus was crucified because we believe that it was something which was made to appear to them so. But the main point which I just like to kind of hammer is it, the reason why I have chosen Islam is because of the prophecies which we're seeing fulfilled, the scientific, archaeological evidence. That evidence, I have not seen anyone been able to refute. And I think what you're presenting to me is a lot of circular reasoning. 
you're following a man named Paul, but when I'm asking, well, why? Well, his followers in the book said he should, he's a real man, he's a real prophet, and I just don't want to Okay, First Peter, I'm following Peter. What say you of the epistle? In all of my research, it's one of the most standard epistles. Um, of course, if you want to go to uh, uber-liberal scholars that don't believe any, anything, but to most that they would say the first epistle of Peter is legitimate. And he says the spirit of Christ. He affirms the pre-incarnate Christ. So let's leave Paul out of it. Let's then put Mark in there. Mark then makes claims of Jesus forgiving and saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm just going to give you just one more. And the writing of James being a convert to Jesus, being the half-brother, shows that he must have believed in who he was. And we know that Jesus claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, etc. So here I've just showed now three other than Paul, Mark, Peter, and James. What say you of 1 Peter? If you want to make it easy, just tell me what you say of 1 Peter. Well, yeah, this kind of just confirms what I've been saying all along. It is just circular reasoning. They're going back to the Bible. But I have not heard really any convincing evidence that this is that the claims of the Bible are true. I haven't heard any evidence that there was a historical figure named Peter. I haven't heard any evidence that Peter confirmed Paul. Yes, these are the teachings of the Bible. I understand that. I haven't heard any evidence tonight that Mark wrote Mark and that every, that the claims of the New Testament that they are written by the disciples of Jesus, that they that these are that they have confirmed Paul. I haven't seen any evidence of it. This is all circular reasoning, and I think an, a, a big chunk of what you believe is based on what on your faith in the Bible. I have more than that. I have real evidence. Okay, this is the time where we can take questions from the audience. Uh, we'll go one at a time. We'll start with our guest, Nadir. Can we give a hand clap for the cross-examination? Thank you. <laughs> Nadir is doing wonderful. Um, let's do two questions, starting with Nadir. It's not time to preach. It's time to ask a question. If uh, you would just stand up and say it, then I'll repeat it over the microphone. Okay, Eddie Berto will go first towards Nadir. Two minutes to answer, one minute to respond. So those on the tape can hear. Eddie Berto. Okay, we got it. And then if the question's going to be that long, then someone come to the front and I'll hand you my mic. The question is, uh, the, the passage that I brought up, First Timothy says, later, later times, and he's asking you, why did you say it's not in his lifetime? Uh, it could be in his lifetime when the passage itself says later times. And to be fair, I'll let the people now ask the question from the microphone. Well, you know, I see that the Roman Catholics do allow people to eat meat. So I don't see this apply to them. And, and this is something which I don't want to get into the defense. I mean, you're basically calling, you know, almost half of Christians apostates and that they are all going to hell. I would prefer that the Roman Catholics, and I've seen a lot of these debates, <laughs> I want them to, de to defend themselves. So I'll just defer that for the Catholics to defend their religion against, I guess, 
really, it, it, I guess what, what you're basically saying, they're being misled by the devil, and they're following the devil. So, you know, I'll let them defend that. And I would like to respond, and it's exactly true as the questioner was asking. Later times does disqualify it now from being the times of Jesus, which was uh, incorrect at uh, the time of Paul, which was incorrect because you said it could be the time of Paul. He was dif different, differentiating in the future. And uh, we do believe Catholics can be saved in their defense if they believe in Christ. But if they believe the things taught by demons, veneration of the saints, if they uh, begin to do this self-imposed worship, calling worship unto God, as I've been to India, they fast, they'll become vegetarian, do all of these things and do it as unto a pagan God. And we know these things uh, lead to demonic spirits. And we saw this in Christianity with, uh, you know, the festivals and, and the, the things that they began to do were very much anti-Christ. And I even believe you can look further on in the book of Revelation into the ecumenical movement of the Catholic Church. And she can be regarded as the whore of Babylon that leads nations astray. And so I pray for uh, Catholics to repent of uh, their false doctrines and come to Jesus. But it is a prophecy. Okay, whoever has a question for me, we're going to ask you to come to my microphone, and uh, please try to make it brief. Thank you. Why do you believe that Jesus is Lord? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I believe Jesus is Lord from the, those eight evidences that you've been given today, which none of them have been addressed. Uh, for him to come, in, it wasn't even just a discussion, does the Bible teach Jesus? I'm giving him a chance to say whatever he thinks teaches another Jesus. He's present nothing. I've given you eight evidences. He cannot contradict any of that. He now says I'm using circular reasoning because some of them happen to be followers of Jesus, and he didn't answer the very fact that if we all happened to be in this church and a murder took place, the judge wouldn't disqualify that. It's the companions, just like in his book, which he's not taking the time to explain. The only people that confirm the prophethood of Muhammad is the Muslims, the, the people that get converted and become the companions and, and so on and so forth. And so obviously why I believe Jesus is Lord is because he is. The Bible shows that he is. The apostles confirmed that he is. The Old Testament saw this in, 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 in their life. They were experiencing it. The church fathers understood the teachings of Jesus. All of those eight evidences, and I don't see any of them being answered, neither a positive case. All we have seen is mine being attacked with no real clear evidence. Nothing has been replaced. If you say I'm wrong, show me what's right. Show me the teachings of Peter. Show me the teachings of the disciples. What are you saying? Until the prophet Muhammad came, there's no Bible. There's, there's no teachings. There's no following. It all just disappears. And now we're supposed to go to this book for our answer? Come on now, dear. We can't do any history like that. If that, if that was true, then the, then the Baha'is are true. You should leave Islam and become a Baha'i because Abdullah says that uh, you misunderstand your prophet. Well, you know, I think I've answered you on that. I mean, I have no problem if, if, if you want to say that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Okay, no problem. So I think I've, I've answered you on that. Now, I know there's, um, there's a lot of debate on that. There's a lot of verses which people will say, no, Jesus is not God according to such and such. But I want to avoid all of that because the main problem here is that we haven't heard any evidence why we should believe in the Bible. We haven't heard any evidence why this book is pristine, has never been changed. We've not heard any any counter rebuttals to the evidence of a very small amount, by the way, of what I've presented, why our prophet is the real uh, clear fulfilled prophecies. And I haven't I haven't heard any evidence for that. So I think, again, if we just ex it goes back to what I was saying, if we compare the evidence of Islam with the evidence of Christianity, then I believe. And if you do it so honestly, then I believe the, 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 the answer is clear as far as which which book to follow. Okay, the next question is for Nadir. 
uh, quickly come, please. Uh, Burrow, you've already asked a question. Uh, Bobby, quickly. You have to come to the mic quickly. Just use his mic. Thank you. First of all, the microphone's not on. Okay, let's just relax. Let's get the Dear Bible. Please turn on the microphone. Let's ask the question. Thank you. In, in a Galatians 4, it says that we uh, have two covenants, one from the bondwoman, one from the free woman. So if we are, as believers, we are supposed to be in free from Jesus being as Lord, how does that relate to you as being in bondage to I don't. I personally, I don't want to be in bondage. So, how? My question is, I, how would you perceive being in bondage, according to Galatians four? There. Okay, uh, that's fine. That's a question. You know, a, a big part of what I'm saying here tonight, I'm trying to kind of pull you away from the Bible, or at least I'm trying to pull you away from the understanding that everything in the Bible is absolutely true. Now, I don't agree with that passage. I don't agree with that. That's just an opinion. Okay? It's just somebody's viewpoint. I want you to pull you away to where the evidence is pointing to. That's where I want to send you to. And so I guess what my, I mean, I don't want to get in a discussion. Well, my Bible says this, and the moment my Quran says this and argue back and forth, let's just look at where the evidence is pointing to. And so I guess it's kind of the same response as I gave last time. Yes, and let's try to keep the question to the, to the point of who is Jesus, but to respond to why uh, Christians believe Muslims are still in bondage, going back to a form of an old covenant, would be because of the religious acts, the washings, the praying five times a day, the fasting during Ramadan, all of these things the Jewish people did as a part of their salvation. Jesus said that uh, now, you know, you follow me, you believe you're saved. And so in our mind, the Christian liberty is far greater than the bondage of works. We see that by no good works can we be saved. And where Islam believes in, the, in, the, in judgment, there will be a scale, and the demon or the, the evil spirit will put all your bad works there, and the angel will put all of your good works, as you kind of see in the cartoon, good and bad. Uh, the Christian is saying there is no good. There's none that are good. There's no good that you can do to outweigh those scales. But the gift of God is free. It comes through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So why would anyone go back into bondage? And I think that's a fair question. When Muhammad came, he's bringing, it seems to the Christian, and I do agree, bringing us back into bondage. And, and I, I don't have time to get into this, but I believe it's a combination of Judaism, Christianity, and paganism. I believe you mix those things together and you get Islam. Kaaba was already being a place of worship in Mecca before Muhammad. Uh, Jews, of course, were doing the washings and all of this. And then you put a little mixture of Jesus and his prophethood in there. And then you get Islam. And, of course, we think Christianity is far superior because it is in line with Judaism, fulfills these many prophecies, and gives us the freedom of the Spirit. Okay. Uh, the next question would be for me. Uh, quickly, Lauren, come. All righty. So Nadir keeps talking about the three prophecies that Muhammad fulfilled or talked about that and that is why um, Islam is correct. So I just want to ask you to give us some evidence of how Jesus fulfilled prophecies to make Christianity right. Thank you. 
I will go to a list of 100 prophecies that I have on a website. Matter of fact, it's just 100prophecies.org. And I will run through uh, them as quickly as I can. I will just stick with the ones that Jesus uh, fulfilled. Isaiah 7.14 said that Jesus would be born out of the house of David. Micah 5, 1 through 2 said that uh, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Then moving on to Genesis uh, 49.10, it would be uh, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob keeping his promise to Israel. Jeremiah 23.5, so he'd be a descendant <clears throat> who upholds Israel. And we believe now because of Jesus being preached among the nations, more people are turning to the God of Israel than ever before. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 says that he will raise up a prophet among us just like he did uh, during the times of Moses, but this time he'll be a son of David, a righteous branch. Uh, Psalms 27 talks about they will pierce him in his hands and his feet. Uh, Zechariah says that he will come while the temp temple is still built, and that um, Isaiah 53, when modern-day Jews read this passage, they think it was written by a Christian when they are, it's announced to them it was in Isaiah. But then the, when you read Isaiah, it is a 1,000-plus years before Jesus describing exactly the betrayal that he would go through. All of this is just predicting Jesus. Then Jesus' life, he predicts the destruction of the temple found in all three canonical gospels in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus then says, you know, in there that false Christ will appear in these last days. Right now there are more false Christs. There's one in the Philippines, one in Puerto Rico, all claiming to be Christ. He predicted earthquakes in these last 40 years. Earthquakes have happened more than ever before. He says that the fig tree will be planted and begin to blossom. This is the rebirth of Israel. Israel without, was without a nation with without borders for over 1,800 years, and he was brought back into borders again. And then Jesus himself said that um, people would come along and they would fight wars within their own nations. And we see this even right now today with, I believe, Libya, nation rising up against nation, everything you would find uh, today prophesied in the Bible, just to name a few. 100prophecies.org has, has many, many more. Okay, and I'll respond to those prophecies. Um, Oh, by the way, what were the, and I'm forgetting real quick, what were the prophecy you mentioned um, earlier about the Roman Catholic Church? What was that? Uh, that was First uh, Timothy chapter 4. Okay, chapter verses 4. Verses 1 and on. Verses 1 and on. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll respond to these prophecies. Um, well, first of all, uh, most of it I actually don't have a, have a problem with. But the most I can do with the prophecies you've mentioned is, you know, become, you know, grow a big, long beard and wear a big black hat and become an Orthodox Jew, you know, because what you're doing basically, when you try to show prophecies from the Old Testament, you're just proving Judaism, but you're really not proving Christianity, okay? So you're kind of riding on the coattails of Judaism. If you want to show that there's prophecies which Jesus is fulfilling in the New Testament, which is mentioned in the Old Testament, again, this is um, kind of goes back to the circular reasoning. The people who wrote the New Testament, they had the Old Testament right there at their disposal. They can copy straight out of the book. So when they talk about a prophecy, you know, Jesus will, or the Messiah will come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. When they sit down to write the New Testament, they can use that as a template to copy into. So that, once again, it goes back to my point. There's really no convincing evidence. You talked about the destruction of the Temple of the Mount. Again, you know, this, is, this goes back to, you know, what you believe about the about the Bible, that the New Testament which we have in our hands today, was written two to three hundred years after the uh, the event even happened. Now, I don't want to really get into a whole discussion of biblical manuscript, but if you want, you, we can. But 
the burden of proof is upon you to show that in that book, which talks about the, about the destruction of the Temple of the Mount, that that was written before it happened. So I'll just leave that to you to do. And you talked about false prophets will appear. I think that's what the... Um, what to the be what fair, your, your minute is up. Can we conclude this, okay. th this, this time? Can we give a hand clap for the cross exam uh, the question time? Amen. We do have 10 minutes of civil discussion, and I'll let you continue as a part of the civil discussion. We're not time-limiting this. We're trying to make it as if we were sitting at a coffee table. Um, so let's, let's try not to get too preaching, Adir, but uh, continue with what you're saying, and I would love to respond to that, please. Oh, okay, yeah. And um, so I guess, uh, once again, it goes back to, you know, the, the I mean, Christians present a lot of things, a lot of evidences for their faith. But when you really look at them, they all can be refuted. And it will always fall back. Well, I just follow the Bible. The Bible is true because the Bible said so. And I think that's a lot of what kind of what we're hearing. You know, when you were talking about uh, these, uh, these manuscripts being 300 years after Jesus, I d did I hear you correctly? Are you actually saying that uh, you believe our Gospels, even the canonical ones, are 300 years after Jesus? Nadir, P52 is yeah. a manuscript, a, a parchment side of a, of a credit card that dates to the first century. We have it right now in museums. The, the gospel, a piece of John that matches right now with what we say, it goes, uh, most people believe it was uh, early second century or first, late first century. How can you say what you just said? It, it's not even backed up by the, Bruce, Bruce Metzger and Bart Ehrman, you know, no one has said what you're saying. So where are you getting this from? I have the evidence right here. You can see the pictures of the parchments that date prior to 300 A.D. Right, and it's about the size of a handkerchief, the P-52, right? But yeah, the it doesn't matter. I mean, okay. it's there. It shows you that it, it was written beforehand. But the rest of the manuscript, which we have, are two to 300 years after Jesus, right? This is totally incorrect. What you're trying to say, and let me clarify for the audience, is he's talking about complete copies of the entire New Testament. We have complete copies of books well within earlier of that. And so I could just keep naming manuscripts, for, but for those that are here, just understand that uh, the manuscript evidence that uh, Nadir is saying is not scientifically accurate. You could go to Wikipedia right now and look up Bible manuscripts. Uh, we have the complete works of Paul and the complete works of John, the complete works of the epistles, the complete works of, that is basically the New Testament, all before uh, 225 A.D. That's uh, 75 years before what you say we have, which is totally incorrect. And the fact that we have them complete at this time and then have the fragments that go back to the time is showing that it was being written, being copied, they were being burned, they were being crucified and killed, and yet they still survived. And I just showed you in his, his history that the historians Pliny and Celius uh, of 110 A.D. and 107 A.D., along with Clement, all within uh, 100 years or less of Jesus, are all saying the Christian faith exactly what I'm saying. And then the church fathers, and you know as well as I do, have over a million quotations of the Bible, 95% of it, the Bible, if it was lost today, could be brought together just based on the Christian history itself. Okay, well, and I'll give you the same answer which I gave uh, James White. Let's just assume, you know, let's say that Everything you have is from the first century, which actually it's not, okay? But it's written from two to 300 years after Jesus. And actually, that's being very generous. But let's Give me something that's 300 years after. I'm sorry to interrupt, but give me something that's 300 years after. I do not, I'm looking at the manuscript. Codex I'm Sinaiticus. 
That, that is the complete binding together of okay. one work. But no. the, the books that are in there are right. completed well before then. Okay, well, let me, let me just kind of uh, finish my point here, because no problem. Okay, let's, let's do this. Uh, let's say all your Bible manuscripts are from within the first century. But it goes back to my, to my initial argument that it doesn't matter if the book is from the first century, because it was wrong to begin with. And here's the reason why. What you have is a man, Paul, who came, and now he's a claimant to be a prophet. He doesn't present any real evidence, okay? And now Can his I ask you to prove that? You've been saying this over and over again. Right, let me Show to me another Christianity other than, quote, unquote, Paul's Christianity that has the writings of the apostles in it. Okay, well, yeah, I'll get to that. Uh, that'll be the second question. And I'm let sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's just I know you've been saying the same thing, and I would like for you to do it for the audience's sake is show them another version. If you're saying Paul made it wrong, show us the other version that had it right. I know you've mentioned the the Ebionites before from Bart Ehrman, but he doesn't even make the claim that you do. All Bart Ehrman says is that centuries as church went on, it evolved and devolved in some ways because uh, there was disagreements, and so for one to say they're the best is, is wrong. And he himself has a postmodern theology that one can't be right. So you can't even show us, you know, show me a, a, a writing from any of the apostles. If you say Paul corrupted Christianity. Well, yeah, let me uh, go back to the first point, though, about, about the Bible you're mentioning. And you, you presented a lot of you know, information about the church fathers yes. and stuff like that. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get to the second one. Um, see, the thing is, the whole New Testament, it's coming from the followers of Paul. So a man who claims to be a prophet and then his followers are giving us scripture, okay, which cannot be independently confirmed. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, according to scholars, you know, now if you have evidence to con contradict that, that's no problem. You can look at that. They're anonymous gospels. They're not written by the people which you see on the label. Now, I'd, like to, I'd love to see that evidence that Matthew wrote Matthew. I'd love to see that evidence that John wrote John. But I don't see that. And so my point is it goes back to the circular reasoning. The church fathers were the early followers of a prophet or apostle, whatever word you want to use, named Paul. And to just to quote from them is just going is just circular reasoning. But again, we don't really see any evidence why I should put my faith in Paul and his New Testament, which his followers gave to us. You, you've mentioned that a couple times. You haven't seen the evidence. But in the debate with Dr. James White, he recommended a book to you by uh, Richard Bachman, Jesus, and the Eyewitnesses. C.P. Sanders' work is also referenced to you, um, Fabricating Jesus. and uh, Oh, no, Jesus. Excuse me. C.P. Sanders, the historical figure, Jesus. And then Craig Evans, using Bachman and Sanders' work, has the book Fabricating Jesus. Um, Matthew is the most attested to by the church fathers, and so we take that to be a valid witness within the first hundred years. It was attributed to him. Mark has marks within it that it came from Peter for the way that he describes Peter. John himself is mentioned in the book of John, so they consider that to be authentic by saying that I who write you these, uh, I am the one who writes you these things at the end of John. And then the Gospel of Luke is the most easiest to confirm because he's writing to the same one in the book of Acts. And then he says in the book of Acts, when Luke joins with them, he changes it into personal pronouns and he begins to draw together with them. As the, uh, them not putting their name inside of biographies, uh, Bachman says that this was popular at that time, that during 
the ancient days when men would write bi biographies, they would not put their name in the literature itself, but only put it on the covers. And he gives examples of how we have found ancient biographies where they would only put their name on the cover, and so they would know that so-and-so wrote this based on it being passed down, and then they would know this is, is who it is. They wouldn't have to say in the biography itself, I am so-and-so writing this. So you've been given that evidence over and over and over again, and I don't know why you're not addressing Bachman and the greatest scholarship that we have in these areas. Number two, by you doing this, you yourself are sitting upon a four-legged chair. You're cutting off the Torah. You're cutting off the Injil. You're cutting off the, uh, the, the El-Kitab people of the book, and you're cutting off the prophets and the Zabar, and Islam falls to the floor. You have nothing left. Where is the genealogy of Abraham found in the Bible? Where is the teachings, all of 613 laws of Moses, found in the Bible? Where are all the Psalms of David? They're found in the Bible. Where are all the writings of the prophets? Found in the Bible. You keep saying, well, the Bible says because the Bible says. My friends, you say the Quran says because the Quran says. We both have books. Prove your book is right. We have proven our book is right. Just by you saying you have archaeological evidence proves nothing. We predicted the, uh, the Christian Bible says the flood of Noah. It came from out the earth. The, uh, the fault lines prove that. Forty days have covered the, the land. We see things that are uh, ancient creatures on top of Mount Everest and the artifacts. The boat dimensions in the, the, book, of Deut uh, uh, the book of Genesis is the dimensions that could hold uh, a, a hurricane force wind. And we could go on and on and on. The table of nations that's listed in the from Shem, Ham, and Japheth shows how the people have come. The history of Ishmael himself in the Ishmaelites is found in the Bible. No other book even teaches you these things that goes back so far. And Jesus himself had this book in his hand and makes reference to these people. How can you even question this as a Muslim? I could see as an atheist you could question this, but as a Muslim who believes in these men, you have nothing other than our Bible and you're sitting on the floor. Lift yourself up now and prove to us why you should tell us to follow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the way you do. Okay. Well, um, let me first go back to, I guess, your defense of the Bible. You, you mentioned you, you relied upon scholarship, but you are aware that scholarship is in agreement that the Gospels which we have today are anonymous. We don't know who the writers are. In fact, when I took my New Testament class, that's the first thing they mentioned. These are anonymous Gospels. Now, you can say, okay, well, I think they're wrong on this point. Okay, no problem. But once again, I didn't find any evidence that Jesus even had a disciple named John. I didn't find any evidence that Jesus had a disciple named Matthew and that this book which you have is what they wrote. That These are faith proclamations. You are you believe in this because you put faith in it, okay? You try to, re you try to go back to the internal evidence. Once again, I mean, I don't need to respond to it because it doesn't, you do not prove these things. You know, it doesn't prove anything. You try to give a, an explanation why. Oh, sure. Did, did Moses exist? Well, okay, prove well, Moses existed. Okay, well, yeah, let me, let me just. Uh, prove Moses existed. Prove it. Okay, well, let me, yeah, I'll, I'll, let me go back to answering. But, can you show me anywhere in secular history that the, the Pharaoh or Egyptians, anybody believed in Moses? Can you show me anything other than the Bible that tells us Moses? Okay, well, let, let me first go back to, because you, you mentioned a lot of issues, a lot of points. I'm trying to respond to all of them because it's a lot. But the, by asking me that question, that shows me that you're seeing what I'm seeing, that there are things which you believe in, which you cannot prove. You just have to believe upon faith. And by asking, well, prove Moses. That's just, this is exactly 
what my point is. We believe in Moses because this is what is taught in our scripture, okay? But the difference is, with our religion, we have clear prophetic, archaeological, and scientific evidence backing up our religion. We have fulfillment of prophecies. I didn't see that inside inside your scripture. Um, and that's why we believe in Moses. It's, that's the only reason why. Okay, but can we, I mean, there are historians who say, no, Moses did not exist. Now, you also mentioned, now you, brought up, you brought up a lot of points, and I don't think I can respond to all of them because I'll be here all night. But let me just respond, w- you know, one very quickly. You talked about the flood of Noah. Uh, you know, again, you go back to what scientists say. They say this, it couldn't have been a universal flood. They said it had to have been a localized flood because based on what we know today of science, the world, the universe was, the, the world which we lived in today, there was not, it was not covered totally with wa- water at any one time. So, and, and, and again, this, this is going back, even if, even if that was false, it, it, it goes back to my point. You're using the Old Testament to prove your religion, and the most I can do with that is become a Jew. The flood story is found in over 100 cultures. It's the most common thread of uh, belief among all world religions. How is it that people like the Aborigines, the Chinese, the American Indians, the Greeks, would all have a story of a, no, uh, of a flood, and yet in that flood, they don't say 20 people survived. They don't say all of, all of uh, these other things. They always say it was a ship. That's in common. Global, that's in common. And then they say only one family survived. I mean, we're just, to me, the, the, the discussion is based upon your belief in a book that came 700, you know, so these many years later, and you, you say nothing about anything in the past, then you might as well follow everybody today that tells you to believe. You, you keep telling us we're doing that. Why don't you look at what you are doing, my friend? Moses and his 613 commandments are found in our Bible. We have no problem with the Jewish faith. You keep saying we have to become Jews. We fulfill the Jewish faith. We fulfill it. Those prophecies, and I've heard this said by Jews, that you say that we draw a bullseye and then we aim towards it. This is impossible. You have no idea how impossible this is. The, one of the men from Moody figured that it would be like filling the, the, the state of Texas with silver dollars uh, up to your waist and giving you only one that is red and one chance stirring the pot and asking you to do it. It would be impossible for him to be alive during the time of the second temple, for him to be betrayed by a friend, for him to be pierced in his hands and his legs by his death, for him to be betrayed by uh, a first friend for silver, for, for the betrayer to then kill himself, have to be replaced. All of these things were spoken of by the prophets. And even the very fact that he would be rejected by his nation and then afterwards would be received by his nation. You keep forgetting, you keep saying we'd all be Jews. The first church was Jews. They were all Jews. That's why Paul converted. That's why his brother James converted. That's why they worshiped Jesus is because they were Jews and they saw it in Daniel. They saw it in uh, Genesis. How much time do we have left? Okay, let's give it up for the, uh, the discussion. Amen. Uh, we'll now move into our final closing statements. Nadir, you have five minutes to close, and I'll move this for you. Well, you've definitely raised a lot of good points, and I don't think we're going to have time to cover all of it. Um, but I think the main point of what I'm trying to say here, and I'm you know, of course, I, I come from, a, I think, a very different perspective. You'll find a lot of people who will argue and debate, is Jesus God? But I give that to the Christians. They've got no problem. Bible, let's just say Old Testament, New Testament, teaches these things. And you can interpret things that way. No problem. But that doesn't show that the book is right. I have not heard a reason tonight 
why I should put my salvation in Paul. I put my salvation in Muhammad because of the prophecies which, which I shared with you. So I just kind of want to review that because that's, you ask, well, why should we follow Muhammad? Why should we follow a man that comes, you know, s- um, centuries after Jesus? This is the reason why. Because he is the only one who's presenting credible evidence. And you're, no matter how hard you try, you will never be able to prove that, you know, that the disciples wrote these books. You'll never be able to prove the truth claims of Christianity. This is a religion which is based upon faith. And this goes back to my premise of what I believe. I see, when, when God does not allow a religion to have real evidence, that is because God does not want you to follow that path. When God presents real evidence for a religion, that's because God is guiding you into that religion. So I don't spend a lot of time attacking Christianity. I don't, and you know that about me. I, most of what you say, okay, no problem. I will, I will accept because for me, and I hope this will also be your case, you just got to follow the credible evidence and the best evidence. Remember, and, I, and I actually, I just gave you a glimpse of the evidence for Islam. And one of the examples was chapter 7, verse 167, which it prophesied about Hitler, where it said about the Jews, that we will, uh, we will send those that will flick a humiliating torment up, up, upon them. It talks about the Jews, that they will fight you from behind walls. And today, Israel constructed one of the largest walls known to man for no other reason but to fight against the Muslims. And by the way, I'm not taking the side of the Palestinians because they've done things which are clearly wrong, but I'm just showing you the fulfillment of prophecy here. And also, we talked about, you know, that if fornication should increase, you should know that this has never happened without new diseases befalling the people, AIDS and different Herpes simplexes, uh, I think, is a fulfillment of that prophecy. So this is what I put my faith in, not claims of men claiming that, oh, you know, I've just seen Jesus in a vision or I've seen God in a vision. And now here are some scriptures and follow that. I don't put my faith in that. I put it on real, credible, verifiable evidence. Um Another one, we talked about Muhammad said, and it didn't exist during his lifetime. So he said, I've never seen these women. They are dressed, yet they are, in spite of that, they're like really naked. And they will be led astray, and they will lead other women astray. Meaning women will copy their fashion. Do I see that in my time? Yes, I see that. I see women copying these fashions. I actually, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And I, I feel kind of a little bit of regret I wasn't able to share with you uh, more evidence, but that's the kind of evidence I want to see from you know the Christian faith. The only thing which I've heard somewhat convincing is the condemnation of the Catholic religion. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, you might have a point there, but I don't agree because, as I said, you know, they allow people to eat food. You know, they I don't think they condemn. They don't. Con- uh, and, and again, I would I would much rather hearing a Catholic. Is that my time? Oh, I'm sorry. One minute. So, again, I would like to uh, just hear Catholics kind of defend themselves on that. But uh, going on to my point, it's still, you know, let's hypothetically say, let's say that's a fulfilled prophecy that really did come true. You know, plain devil's advocate, look at the the bulk of the evidence coming from Islam. And I think if you compare the evidence, you have only one prophecy that somewhat makes sense, while we have tremendous. So I think the, 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 uh, the answer is clear. 
And I, and I would like for you, for go to the website, examinethepeak.com, and, and let's have more discussions and debates on this topic of the evidences for Islam. Thank you. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming out tonight, uh, this morning. Uh, sorry. That's what happens when you wake up at 6.30 for a debate. Amen. I have no idea what debate uh, my friend has been listening to. I think if you go back and listen to the tape, I've listed over 20 prophecies, and some of them are so clear they make the prophecy of Islam look vague. Revelations chapter 11 verse 9 talks about every nation, tribe, and people watching the death of the two witnesses. This was an impossibility until satellite television, and now we know that that can happen. The identity chip of Revelations 13, 17 says that the chip will mark them on their, uh, their, uh, their hand and their forehead, and they cannot buy and sell without this. This would be impossible in an agricultural society because you could buy and sell on the side, do whatever you want, but now we know in a society that's cashless, this would be exactly the type of society predicted, and now where they put these identity chips in the skin, in the forehead, because it is the thinnest amount of skin so that it can be picked up by the computer. But that wasn't the debate. We were told by the uh, his prophet in the hadith not to judge based on prophecies, and he even himself said that his sister has had prophecies done and she should have followed them. So it's a defeating argument, and Moses told us not to listen to people who say that they have prophecies. So you never responded to that. However, today I gave you eight evidences, the Torah, the writings of the prophets, the teachings of David, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of his disciples, the teachings of Paul, church history, and of non-Christian history itself. And you have responded to none of this. The best argument that you could give us is that somehow Paul deceived people, what, for 700 years without any other evidence to any other uh, writing? This is absurd. Mark and all of the manuscripts that I've been mentioning to you, like the evidence of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the evidence found in the book of James, all of these manuscripts, all well within tact by 225 A.D., all of them being found in parchments, most of them even before uh, around 150, and yet you try to say to us that this is a fabrication, this is just a flat-out lie, it's not even true, you can have them and look at them, and yet all of these confirm, and yet when you follow church history, those of you who know about the church, church. The gospel preachers went all around the world. They went to the Coptics in Egypt. They went to Ethiopia. They went to the places of the east. They went uh, to India and all of these places, and that's where we find our manuscripts. So there was no way to gather them all together as they did with Uthman, to gather all the Quran and then burn them. We're still finding them today, and as a matter of fact, our best manuscripts have been found within the last 50 years, and you could put the Dead Sea Scrolls in there as well, confirming the book of Isaiah, which prophesies so brilliantly about Jesus. And so in closing today, there is no more uh, question, my friends. The answer is Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. He should be worshipped and served. The Bible says, confess him as your Lord. Believe in your heart and you will be saved. And so I want to speak to my friend and to all Muslims listening to me. Believe in Jesus Christ. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham bowed down. He submitted by bowed down to Jesus Christ. Moses submitted to Jesus Christ. The prophets, David even said, 
that my Lord said to my Lord, sit at your right hand. And Jesus brought this up when he was on the earth. He said, how could David say to his Lord? He had a Lord, and this confused the Jews of this of that time. But we need to understand that Jesus is Lord like the Father is Lord. And then Daniel, he said in chapter 7, I see the Ancient of Days, but the Son of Man coming to him, receiving the worship of all the nations. And we want to proclaim that message today, that the Son of Man has come. And as Paul testified in Corinthians, a hymn, a teaching that predates even him, that he was there, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, seen among 500 witnesses, and ascended to heaven, and will soon come back. That is the message of Jesus, my friends. Believe the message of Jesus all across this world. Every nation, tribe, and tongue needs to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah and alhamdulillah. How much time do I have? That's it. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we'll stick around a little bit. We're going to have to move some tables for our service. You're more than welcome to stay for a 9 o'clock service. We thank you all for coming. We ask that you would check back on the website to see the debate. Go to the websites on the, the cards to learn more information, examinethetruth.com. And as I said, we'll be here to hang out. Father, thank you for blessing us today with a wonderful time. We pray for your grace and peace to be upon us all. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said. Amen. God bless you. You may fellowship and enjoy our cafe in the back. Thank you.